0: Good evening. Good to see everybody. Um, in addition to uh, what Mark and uh, let me first say to those of you online, welcome to you as well. So good to have uh, you know those that are online and can't be here tonight, but but we certainly want to uh, welcome them as well. And I wanted to uh, you know, Mark was in his PJs. He's headed out to the. Mods are where the teens and the middle school kids are both having their uh, holiday or Christmas parties tonight, so it's a totally different world in here, Uh, although Mark brought their world into our world uh, by him and some of the other uh, folks that work with the teens um, are are dressed up like the teens tonight, but uh, I thought I shouldn't teach in pajamas tonight, but uh, so I didn't go that route, but... Uh, But in addition to uh, what they've got going on over there, uh, I mentioned this on Sunday, but this is the remaining uh, calendar so you kind of understand what's coming. And I know that we've announced this, but uh, make sure everybody's on the same page. Uh, Tonight's the last Wednesday service of uh, 2023. Um, Next Wednesday, no service. The Wednesday after, no service. But next week we have the Friday, the 22nd service. So that is in lieu of our normal Wednesday service. That's the one the, uh, the adult choir will be singing, the kids will be, they have a program, and then I'll be sharing that night as well. So uh, but again, this Sunday, normal um, eight, uh, 8.30 and 10.45, and then uh, because Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve both fall on a Sunday this year, and that's not uh, something we get uh, every year, but this year they do, so Uh, being that both of those are uh, significant holidays, we will have our normal, it's going to be our regular service, but it's going to be just one combined service at 11 a.m. So that gives uh, our folks um, that serve and sound team and ushers, and uh, we will have children's ministry both of those days. But again, it just simplifies things a little bit for those two Sundays. So just keep that in mind. Uh, And if you're counting, you only have to hear me four more times this year. Five if you count tonight. So Uh, and then we'll we'll get back to our uh, typical routine starting in January. And we've already done some uh, great things with the the shoebox Operation Christmas Child. That was in late November and then ladies uh, had the the, the fellowship and luncheon uh, this past Saturday. So we've got some uh, exciting things over the next couple weeks that we're looking at what God will do. Uh, With that, turn with me in your Bibles as we will be finishing Uh, the Joel series tonight. As I mentioned in the new year uh, we'll have Wednesday prayer for uh, January. Uh, We might do one different Wednesday somewhere in January, but then uh, February I'll begin the study of Joshua. Um, And so that's just something on the horizon. But we're finishing the book of Joel tonight. Uh, Before I read these verses, uh, most of you in this room Looking at your age, I, I can tell who would know this. How many of you used to remember the overhead projectors? They were this big clunky thing that was on wheels and it got wheeled into the classroom and it had this, uh, you know, neck on it like that. And, then, uh, and your professor or teacher would put the transparencies down and they could, they could write on them. And, and uh, so tonight it's kind of like the, the transparencies, uh, you would actually, they would layer them. Like you put one down and you layer another one on top of it, and you layer another one on top of that. Now you have PowerPoint for all this stuff. But back then, that's the way you did it. You slide another one on top, and you would layer it up, and it would all, and hopefully your lines matched up and everything matched up and everything. Uh, so as we look at the uh, closing study in Joel, it is kind of like that in the sense that we're reading just these remaining verses, but I will layer things that are not in the text but are directly related to the text in other parts of the Bible. So each transparency kind of lays on top of it. So when we look at let's say the book of Zechariah we look at the book of Revelation and those things layer over the book of Ezekiel, which we'll touch on all these passages tonight, they connect with the passage we're looking at tonight. So you have your, your starter transparency which is Joel, but we'll lay some of these other ones over top. Make sense? Uh, so back to our text tonight. If your Bibles are open, uh, we read through verse 11 of chapter 3, and we'll pick it up and we'll reread verse 11. Um, actually, just for the sake of really kind of getting the full context, let me read it from verse 9, uh, because we did cover 9 through 11 last, uh, not last week, but the Wednesday before, last Wednesday with our prayer night. But let me start in verse 9, but we're really going to be covering verses 11 through 21. But just so we kind of see the context, verse 9 proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war, wake up the mighty men, let all the men of war draw near, let them come up, beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong, assemble and come, all you nations, gather together all around, cause your mighty ones to go down there, Uh, go down there, O Lord. Let the nations, verse uh, verse 12, let the nations be awakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit. "...to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, go down, for the winepress is full, for the, uh, the vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day the Lord is near, in the valley of decision the sun and moon will grow dark, and the stars will diminish their brightness. The Lord also will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem." The heavens and earth will shake, but the Lord will be a shelter for his people and the strength of the children of Israel. So you shall know that I am the Lord your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain in Jerusalem shall be holy, and no alien shall ever pass through her again. And it will come to pass in that day that the mountains shall drip with new wine, the hills shall flow with milk, and all the brooks of Judah shall be flooded with water. A fountain shall flow from the house of the Lord, And water the valley of acacias. Egypt shall also be a desolation; Edom, a desolate wilderness, because of violence against the people of Judah, for they have shed innocent blood in their land. But Judah shall abide forever, and Jerusalem from generation to generation. For I will acquit them, acquit them of the blood, of the guilt of the blood, whom I had not acquitted. For the Lord dwells in. Zion. Let's pray again. Father, we thank You for this time tonight. Uh, Lord, first to worship You in song and now to worship You by opening Your Word. And Lord, we pray that our worship would be truly surrendered hearts and Lord, open uh, minds and open hands and open ears to what You would have us to hear and to know and to trust in and to apply in our lives. And Lord, that we would be those that would be truly ready for your return for it's getting closer and closer as we see in these things that have been prophesied long before uh, they are closer by the second. Lord we pray that uh, you'd stir us, that we'd have a zeal for you these days in which we live. And Lord even in this Christmas season we pray that we'd be a bright light to those that don't know the true meaning of why you came to this world and Lord why you'll be coming back again. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So five times in the book of Joel, once in chapter 1, uh, three times in chapter 2, and the fifth and final time uh, here in the last ten verses of chapter 3, uh, we see the urgent and prophetic mention of the day of the Lord. As we've looked at it throughout the book of Joel, the day of the Lord speaks of a coming day. Which includes a literal, specific day, but it also speaks of a longer period of time with God pouring out his pent-up wrath and judgment. Did you guys know that God's wrath is is piling up? And he's going to pour it out on the nations, but this day of the Lord is also, a lot of people don't know this, it's also inclusive of of God's final and complete deliverance of Israel. It's not just the judgment of the nations, it's not just a specific day, it's not just a period of time, although it is all those things, but it also includes the complete deliverance of Israel as a nation, and it also includes the thousand-year reign of Christ. Much like, you say, well, how can all that be the day of the Lord? Well, the same way you'd say, I have to go to work this day, but you also say, in the day of my youth. and You know what you're speaking of in both cases. And so the day of the Lord has this wider context. Additionally, uh, judgments poured out by God at prior times, all throughout history, are all foreshadows of the day of the Lord. So when you see judgment like, uh, let's say, Sodom and Gomorrah, that's a foreshadow of the day of the Lord, but it's not specifically the day of the Lord. And here in this small book of Joel, we see references to virtually all of these aspects of the Day of the Lord. In these last verses, you see the whole composite of the specific day, the period of the tribulation period, but also the millennium reign of Christ. All of that is the Day of the Lord. We see all of these aspects, which we can uh, we can readily understand them, and we can see the primary components of the coming day and the coming time of the day of the Lord. And yet, any pastor, any Christian, any scholar, any theologian would have to admit we cannot fully explain everything related to the day of the Lord because of its depth, things that only God could explain to us. That said, as with so many other things in Scripture... The Lord's given us more than enough to understand, to study, to learn, to apply to apply and proclaim which is what we're doing here tonight. If you're taking notes you see the, t- the title this morning, The Day of the Lord, Coming Judgment and Renewal. Because it does include the renewal. You want to be in the Lord for the renewal part, the judgment part. You certainly do not want to be under, uh, as we'll be looking at in these verses. Now we left off two weeks ago with the preparation of the nations. I went ahead and reread verses nine through eleven. The preparation of the nations; those first verses, starting in verse nine, where it says, "Proclaim among the nations, prepare for war," all the way down to verse eleven, "Assemble and come up, you nations." In the lead up to the tribulation period, and obviously, we've been in the lead up to the tribulation period from the day Jesus ascended back into heaven. And at Pentecost, uh, you know, Peter stands up and quotes from the prophet Joel, as you guys know. And he said, these are the last days which were spoken of by the prophet Joel. So we've been in the lead up to the tribulation for quite some time. But in the lead up to the seven year tribulation, the nations are going to begin to arm themselves for war. Now most nations already have armies, but they're going to sense a need to get even more girded up. More people like in Israel, as you guys know right now, they called many people out of civilian jobs. More than has ever taken place uh, going all the way back to the 60s and 70s. Uh, But nations will begin to arm themselves for war. Lasting peace, which all of you know has been elusive in world history, will be utterly impossible in the days ahead. The Antichrist, and Jesus said there would be A coming Antichrist. The epistles, some of the uh, writers of the New Testament, they write about the Antichrist. We see uh, not the exact name, but certainly uh, the same individual uh, reference in the Old Testament as well. But the Antichrist, uh, by the time we get to the tribulation period, will coalesce power from most of the world's leaders. I'm of the mind that he does not coalesce power from the kings of the east, which would be the Far East, China, and others. But uh, you know, there's debate about that. But uh, he, either the whole world or most of the world, the Antichrist will have coalesced power by the time of the tribulation. Uh, and he will have helped broker uh, short-term peace agreements, probably in multiple places around the world. But the most important by far uh, being the peace covenant that he will personally broker with the nation of Israel mentioned in Daniel chapter 9. If you're taking notes, Daniel chapter 9 is where that that covenant is explained. But during the first half of the covenant, it'll be a seven year covenant, the first half, uh, the three and a half year mark, the temple in Jerusalem, which may have already been built before the tribulation, shortly before it, well before it, or it is either built during the tribulation, probably in the first uh, few months or year or early on. Uh, But it's either built before or in the early part, we don't know. But we know that when the temple is rebuilt in Jerusalem, it will be fully accepted by the nations because the Antichrist will have brokered everyone to be okay with it. Everyone. Even the Muslim community that right now would be opposed to that, and it would be rebuilt, it would be completed, and the sacrifices will return. Animal sacrifices will return, and that has not been taking place since all the way back in the first century. None of the temple operations are possible right now. As you know, it's up on the screen, the Dome of the Rock and one other mosque. There's two mosques on the Temple Mount. But there is no temple on the Temple Mount. So it's not possible that there could be any sacrifices coming back because there is no temple there. This has to be this obstacle has to be removed for there to be this covenant and Israel to return to their sacrifices. So the temple is going to have to be rebuilt. The covenant with Israel, who as a nation, first had to be reborn and brought back to life. We we talked about this two weeks ago. Uh, before there could be a temple, Israel had to be a country again. And that wasn't possible until 1948. And the covenant prophecy so is predicated upon Israel being a nation. Israel has to be a nation, that took place in 1948. That piece is done, but the temple still has to be rebuilt as well. But this rebirth of Israel as as a nation, we talked about this two weeks ago, that was prophesied in Ezekiel chapter 37, the dry bones, but also Right here in Joel chapter 1, for he says in verse 1, Behold, at that time when I bring back the captives of Judah. Now that's happened other times in the past, but as the, we, you talk about Israel becoming a nation, it speaks direct, more specifically to the same prophecy in Ezekiel 37, d- dead dry bones coming back to life. Uh, but we examine these things in our previous study. Uh, the fact that Israel once again exists as a nation right now in our lifetime uh, I was I was talking to someone just uh, a few days ago, and they were 85. So they were they were born before Israel rebecame a nation. But uh, but now that Israel does exist as a nation, uh, that means that Daniel's chapter nine prophecy, which is also called the prophecy of the seventy weeks, which is seventy seven year periods, sixty nine, which have already taken place. But the, there's a gap between the sixty ninth. And the seventieth, so we're still waiting on that last seven-year period to be completed. But but that prophecy in chapter nine is also called the seventy-week prophecy. Uh, it's now in clear view, and everything is ready. Everything is in place. The temple rebuild could start at any time. Any number of dominoes could start to fall in place that the temple could start to be rebuilt. Even the current conflict right now, if we look twelve months out. There's all kinds of things that could go either right or wrong which could cause Israel to say, that's it, we're rebuilding the temple. But we don't know. But the recent events without question and all the events that we cannot foresee how many you think there'll be things in 2024 we cannot foresee? <laughs> that we have no clue are coming? Yeah, of course. Happens every year. Every year there's something like, "Wow, I didn't see that. That was not marked on my calendar or on my bingo list, or whatever else that you want to call it." So the events that we see now, but also the many events that we can't foresee, God's going to use those events to funnel everything into place. That makes sense. He's using all of it to funnel everything into place. For all we know, the Antichrist might be alive right now. He's referenced in 2 Thessalonians, among other places. I mentioned that uh, he has different names, but not just the Antichrist. But here he's called the man of sin. And we see an important aspect when he's going to broker this deal that he's going to break at the three-and-a-half-year mark. There has to be a temple there because look what it says. It says he's going to go sit in the temple. There is no temple for him to sit in right now. He's going to go sit in the temple as God, capital GOD by the way. He's not that, he's little god, but I'm saying he will express to people that he is God in human flesh. He's the he's the fake false Christ anti in place of it can be it can be against or in place of. But the temple has to be rebuilt. Paul knew that for him to go in and administer the sacrifices as if he is both high priest and God himself. So there is no temple right now. But the Antichrist might actually be alive right now. That's not my concern. I look for Jesus. I do not look for the Antichrist, by the way. I'm just saying, he could be alive. We're not told to look for the Antichrist. We're told to look for the coming of the Lord. But we're also told to know the signs, and in knowing the signs you will know things about the Does that make sense? It's like it's in your It's in your view, but it's not your primary fixation at all. But you still could notice that. If I start to see things that look like the Antichrist, I'd say, well, that's a person I probably would never vote for, right? (laughs) And I see a lot of that, by the way. (laughs) But they're not all the Antichrist. They just have a lot of his bad characteristics. But whether he is or isn't alive, the world is more ripe than it has ever been. For total deception... People can't even discern what a man or a woman is anymore. But the world is ripe for total deception, a ruler to consolidate power. The world is ripe for someone who can promise to solve all of the world's political, health, food supply, socioeconomic, and conflict-related I'm talking about nation against nation or ethnicity against ethnicity, the things that Jesus talks about, Matthew chapter 24. Uh, all of the, someone who can promise to solve all of those issues that are on the front page news of your phone. And the Middle East, and most specifically Israel in the Middle East, will be and already is at the top of the list, would you not agree? It already isn't. The whole world talks about it right now. It's already at the top of the list and it certainly will be even more so when he enters into this covenant discussion with Israel. Now even before the final puzzle pieces begin to be put into place, because they are all over the table right now but they will start to come, and some of them are certainly together Israel being a nation is a big puzzle piece that is in place But before all the puzzle pieces are put into place, we can already see the world's gravitational pull towards Israel. People that didn't even think about Israel last year are thinking of college kids that couldn't, they almost couldn't tell you where on the map Israel was. And I don't know that some of them still can, but they still know, they've heard now of the Palestinians, they've heard of Israel. They have a lot to say about it, even if they know very little about it. But there's a gravitational pull towards Israel, more specifically against Israel. That little strip of land there that connects Europe, Asia, and Africa, that little strip of land that bridges three continents, that little tiny strip of land has the world's whole attention, but someday is not just going to have the whole world. It's not just going to have the world's whole attention, it's the nations will gather and mass feet on the ground there. Which is what we just read, whether you saw it or not. And we're going to go dig back into that in just a moment here. So as we pick it up with verse 11 and 12, and I, uh, 11 was the last verse that we read two Wednesdays ago. But let me read 11 and 12 again and we'll dive in. Assemble and come up all you nations... And gather together all around, cause your mighty ones, in other words, your mighty men of war, to go down there, O Lord. Verse 12, let the nations be be awakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. So as we pick up with verse 11 and 12, the nations, uh, as they are today, will have already begun arming for war. And uh, think about right now the United States, China, Russia, the th- uh, uh, Canada is, is actually the second largest landmass country in the world, but the other three are in that list. Canada Russia, Canada, China, United States as far as landmass. So three of the four largest landmass countries in the world are the three I just mentioned, United States, China, And Russia and all three of them, our nation included, are working on expanding our military capabilities. Now uh, in the the space frontier how we can knock each other's satellites out, disarm, disable each other's satellites, um, use weaponry from space that goes back into earth, all kinds of things and probably weapons that no one even knows about right now because they're all top secret. So while these three countries the United States, China, and Russia are constantly working on expanding their military capabilities, stealing information from each other, having to make sure they have secret uh, windows into what each other are doing. Europe and Japan are also escalating their military investments. I mean, for years, Japan you know, was not wanting to be a military president. That has all changed significantly. Same with India. Uh, India is the second largest, well, now, did they pass China? They the largest population. Country in the world, they've since passed China. Uh, They increased their defense spending by 13% last year. They are arming themselves. They want to be a major power military wise. Iran and North Korea, and North Korea, small country, third largest manpower army in the world. I mean, it's just uh, unbelievable what they plow into that machine. But Iran and North Korea, they're on a non stop path to building and maintaining war machines. Uh, although it is problematic, I, I saw the North Korea's dictator uh, just, a, just admitted today they have a population crisis and I guess when you kind of persecute your entire population people don't want to have kids anymore. I and mean, when you don't have kids it's kind of hard to, so which means some of these countries need a war sooner rather than later. Because they, they will, they, their time is, their go time is soon because that you, it takes years to reverse a population issue. So if your army is ready, uh, that, these, are, these are trigger points to just be aware of. That's not good news, by the way. I'm just saying that uh, that added incentive for a country like North Korea to not wait forever because they've, they've built all of this up. And so they'll, the term use it or lose it" uh, is a familiar term that most of you probably know. Uh, meanwhile, uh, even though these war machines are being built up, Iran's number one target is Israel, and has they're fixated on Israel. They More than anybody, they were, they were the behind the, hum, the Hamas weaponry and things of that nature. Uh, Turkey, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, many other nations are arming themselves and readying themselves for future conflicts, building up their arsenals as well. And all of this, and even going back, I've talked to this about this many times when I put up my larger Dr. Frechtenbaum chart, which I didn't put it up because then I would go too deep in it and I wouldn't get much further, but... All of this goes back to even World War One, even World War II, and then the many wars that have taken place since then. Which all of this, taken from early 1900s all the way till now, uh, because then the acceleration, things compress and they get faster as you get closer to the end. But all of it looks very much like the wars and rumors of wars that Jesus said would precede the tribulation, and of course they would not just precede the tribulation. There'll be many conflicts and wars going straight into the tribulation as well. Uh, that tribulation being the 70th week also called the time of Jacob's trouble because this is also God's the day of the Lord will deal with judgment of the nations, but also his rescuing of his chosen people, Israel. What we see, in our lifetime, and not just our, well before us as well, it's been happening for a long time, we see the nations becoming restless, and more restless. Everyone seems to be becoming more restless these days. But we see not only individuals, but nations becoming restless because they cannot find peace. And why? Because they've rejected the Prince of Peace. This is the Christmas season, one of the names of Jesus, he should be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And the reason why the nations can't find peace and will not be able to find peace. It'll be utterly impossible for them to find peace as we get closer and closer to God's judgment is they've rejected the Prince of Peace. And just about anything could ignite a major war. Do you agree with that? Just about anything. I mean, all kinds of things. A mistake could happen, and it could ignite a major war. In fact, in the first half of the Tribulation, There are other wars before you get to the final battle, but there are other wars in the first half of the tribulation, and they are significant, and they are devastating. Millions of people will die in the earlier wars, the Antichrist consolidating his power. He'll start out doing it politically, but when he hits a point where the political uh, doesn't take him all the way where he needs to get to, there will be other wars to consolidate power, and those things will take place. But as horrible and as catastrophic as all wars are, small wars, large, all wars are are horrible, and all the battles that are within the tribulation, all the battles and all the wars up until the final battle, they all are preludes to the day of the Lord. And yet, I'm talking about the literal day of the Lord, the the one day, because there is the one day of his pouring out his wrath, but then there's the day of the Lord that covers the tribulation and the millennium. But it is a specific day, and it's also a time period. So all the other ones are preludes to that specific day of the Lord. And when we see these nations that are becoming uh, restless, um, all of these things that are taking place, uh, when the, as we get closer and closer to the day of the Lord and we get closer and closer to even the tribulation period, uh, the nations... Because of idolatry, which our country has a lot of, rebellion, which our country has a lot of, and violence, which our country has a lot of, and the world has a lot of, because of idolatry, rebellion, and violence, and ultimately it's the rebellion against God and against Christ that produces idolatry and produces all the violence. But because of these sins, God's fury is going to be poured out in a very definitive way and and he's not hiding it. It's right? Anyone can open their Bible and see exactly how it's going to unfold. He's not hiding it. It's going to happen in a definitive way and it's going to happen in a definitive place. And people will pay their own way to get there. And that place, as God specifies, is Israel. Israel. It's not going to be Ireland. It's not going to be Italy. It's not going to be South Africa. It's not going to be. That's not the final battlefield. Israel will be the final battlefield and everyone will be gung-ho to get there. And it takes place from the expansive valley called Megiddo all the way down south to Jerusalem which is then up in elevation south in direction but up in elevation and you'll notice that uh, uh, the Lord says even in the in the text up look in verse 12 let the nations be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat up because they'll come up in elevation to it's a valley that is you ever been up in even in our our uh, uh, valleys, you go up the mountains like let's say the Blue Ridge Parkway, there's some valleys that are actually up in the mountains, then you have the, the lower valleys that are down below, like the Shenandoah Valley is between two, but then you have some smaller valleys and Je- the Valley of Jehoshaphat a smaller valley that's up in elevation Then it eventually runs all the way down to the Dead Sea. But the, the battlefield will be from Megiddo all the way down to Jerusalem, up in elevation to the very narrow Kidron Valley, um, and the Kidron Valley is uh, right in between the Mount of Olives. I've got some pictures in just a few minutes, we'll look at some of these. It's right in between uh, Jerusalem, at, uh, or the Mount of Olives on this side, Jerusalem on this side, and you have this narrow Kidron Valley between the city of Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives. And that's the very valley, the Kidron Valley is the valley that Jesus walked over the brook to go into the Garden of Gethsemane, into the Kidron to pray, to sweat great drops of blood. He was betrayed there arrested there and he goes back out of the Kidron Valley to go back into the city of Jerusalem where ultimately uh, he was tried in the night uh, I took both of these pictures uh, back in 2019 this one was up on Mount Carmel facing southeast so that that massive flat plain is Megiddo uh, that is uh, that is Megiddo there and uh, but that we're, you're up on Mount Carmel and you're looking you're looking southeast there. And then from Tel Megiddo, which a tell is, is a man-made hill. I mean, it's a bunch where they kind of layered city upon city upon city or layer upon layer, and, they, and it looks like kind of like a ziggurat looks if you covered it then with, with dirt and you made it into a man-made mountain. Uh, so this is taken from Tel Megiddo, and Solomon had kept horses up there and all kinds of things like that. And that face is directly east to the same valley. It's just you're looking at the same uh, flat plain. Um, It just was one was southeast and the other one is facing directly east. But God is going to gather the nations. Uh, They'll come first. They'll come there first to come against Israel. But they'll ultimately stay there to fight against God. Because God's always the issue anyway. Israel's just in the way. When Jesus said it's not you, I'm talking about born-again Christians now, Jesus it's not you that they hate, it's me. So when they hate you for your faith, it's really they hate Christ. I mean, if you would just kind of ease up on your Christianity, they'll be okay. That's not going to happen. God's not going to ease up on His own people either. Uh, but ultimately at the end of the seven-year tribulation, they'll start out going there to battle against Israel, uh, to take every last inch of land from Israel and to annihilate the, the people of which is obviously Hamas would love to do right now, and ISIS would love to do it, and Iran would love to do it right now. But at that time, the whole the whole world will agree with them at some point, but ultimately their, their fight will be against God himself. And so the armies of the world will be pressed into this valley right here, Megiddo, and all the way down through, not, and probably not just the the Jezreel Valley, but even the Rift Valley, which is with the Jordan, also called the Jordan River Valley, uh, pretty much all the armies, they'll, they'll cram into the whole country every which way, but this would be the theater that would, would pack in the most human beings for an all-out war. And Napoleon, when he stood uh, looking over the same valley that I took pictures of, the same one you're seeing up on the screen, Napoleon when he looked over this same valley, it's also called the Jezreel Valley so if if you heard that term it's uh, Megiddo or the Jezreel Valley Uh, he said this, he said all the armies of the world can maneuver their forces on this vast plain. He saw it as a great place to have a massive battle and uh, yes that will happen. Not only could it happen, it will happen. But But God, he's the one bringing the nations there. He's the one urging them to come to the very place of their own judgment. He's bringing them together there for a judgment that has long been delayed. Have you ever watched things and you see evil things? You're like, Lord, how long are you going to allow this to go on? How long will you allow human trafficking or this or that? And you just look at it and you say, this world is so evil. Now obviously we're capable of all those things. We're just sinners saved by grace. But but yet once we are saved, we have a real distaste for things that are that are evil. And so when we see evil, we wonder, Lord, how long will this go on? And, and even uh, the slain saints, he's going to tell them to wait a little longer, wait a little longer, uh, that He's going to avenge them. And by the way, He is going to avenge even His saints, like you know, Hebrews chapter 11, one of the prophets we believe was Isaiah, Saul and two. God is going to avenge that. Uh, Not only in the battle of Armageddon, but the lake of fire for all eternity. All the things God's going to right every wrong. Uh, But this judgment has been long delayed and the nations, by the time they come there they will have already rejected Jesus. They will have already taken the mark of the beast. They are all in against the Lord. They will have rejected. By the time they get there, by the time the nations gather and they start to maneuver into these valleys uh, they will have rejected Jesus. And this is true right now of anyone who's still uh, the first few. Some of these come in the tribulation, so uh, by the time you get to the tribulation you have even more things that you've rejected. But they will have already rejected Jesus, the Scriptures, the Prophets, the witness of the saints themselves, those that are beheaded for the witness of Christ. The two witnesses that stand in Jerusalem and prophesy for three and a half years and you know, they call down fire from heaven. That's a pretty good sign. Like Stephen shining. I mean, again, all kinds of things that we would have rejected. Uh, they will have rejected the 144,000 Jewish evangelists that were virgin men that go all over uh, preaching the gospel. The seals judgments, the trumpet judgments the bold judgments, even angels going through the sky telling mankind the everlasting gospel, the world will have rejected all of that and said we think we can take God. We think we can do it. We think we can pull it off. We think we've got the manpower. We've got, we think we can do this. We can take out his people and him. By the way it says in Psalm he will laugh at them in that moment. But the nations will have chosen sin, they will have chosen themselves, and they will finally have chosen the Antichrist. And more directly, they will have chosen Satan instead of the grace and forgiveness of God. The Lord will draw the nations to Israel and He will let them follow the full lust and the full deception of their own desires to their own destruction. In Zechariah chapter 14, another one of these um, uh, overhead projector layers here. And Zechariah chapter 14 verses 1 and 2, uh, that prophet says, Behold the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst, for I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. So we know specifically they're coming against Jerusalem. They, they will hate Jerusalem with a passion, they already do, some of them have a hard time finding hiding it because anti-Semitism is exploding. We learn the Ivy League schools are quite anti-Semitic. Like I kind of already knew this, and I know they probably hate Christians too, and a whole bunch of other things. But but uh, it'll it'll be it, you're, you'll be free to exhibit your hate. By the way, where are the ones called hate speech? You ever notice that? And the, the real hate uh, is obviously coming from the other side of the net, right? If you're thinking of a tennis analogy, but. Um, but he says, for I will gather the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken. They'll think they have won for a moment. The Antichrist is going to take over Jerusalem. He's going to sit in and <coughs> call himself God. For a brief little bit of a micro moment there, they're going to think they have pulled it off. The city shall be taken. The houses is rifled. Uh, the women ravished. It says the women raped, which Hamas just did. It will happen again but on a much larger scale. Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off in the city. So a remnant is going to escape, that's where Jesus said drop everything in Matthew chapter 24, don't go back to your houses if you're on the rooftop, just run for your life and they will get down to the Petra area which is in Jordan today and God will have a oasis, a safe place for a remnant that he's going to hold. But, uh, but those that do not escape, and, and might likely those that don't escape will probably be even uh, Jewish people who had themselves not really surrendered to Jesus. But the remnant will absolutely not only escape uh, physically, but that spiritually they will actually become followers of Messiah because Jesus is going to come back and take them. But this is a snapshot this passage here in Zechariah, it is a snapshot of the midpoint of the seven-year tribulation all the way through the end of it. Not necessarily in sequence, similar to Joel himself and the book of Revelation does this. It doesn't always, as I talked about, the timeline doesn't go in a straight line, it goes back and forth and you've got to know when there's interludes where they went back to chapters or even back sometimes much further time than that. But this, it's a snapshot of the midpoint of the tribulation through the end of the tribulation uh, as Israel is going to be double-crossed by the Antichrist double-crossed and deceived by the Antichrist and then some will awaken to their senses and run and remember Jesus' words and they'll run and be saved. They will be surrounded by the nations, Israel will be encamped, uh, in Jerusalem as a city, but also the nation will be surrounded. They'll be persecuted by the nations. You see, all their stuff will be stolen. Uh, the women will be ravished. The nation, um, the nations are going to descend upon Israel for what will become the final battle of this age. Now, there is one final battle at the end of the thousand-year tribulation, a thousand-year reign of Christ. But, uh, but at least of this first. 6,000 plus years of human history, that will be the final battle. And the final battle, as even uh, people in Hollywood know this name, although I don't think they could usually define it much, they seem to know the name, it's called Armageddon. And they use it for lots of different things. They put it in songs, they put it in movies, I mean they they know the word Armageddon but they really don't usually know exactly what they're talking about. But the, the word is only used once in the scriptures and it's found in Revelation 16, 16, so if you're a note taker, it's found in Revelation 16, 16. And they gathered them together, them being the armies of the world, to the place in Hebrew called Armageddon. Uh, the word Armageddon is actually, that's really the Greek transliteration of the Hebrew word. So Armageddon is actually Greek, but it is the Greek transliteration of, it sounds basically the same as the Hebrew word, which is Har-mageddon. har Har uh, being... Um, a mountain or hill, and Megiddo being the, the flat plain that we just looked at in the pictures a few ways back, so Megiddo is the flat plain, Har a hill, a tail, a little mountain it doesn't it's a view down at Megiddo, so Harageddon in Hebrew is Armageddon. Uh, what will take place is uh, when the world 's armies when they see Christ descend out of heaven, and they will see Christ descend out of heaven. Uh, you and I will be seeing the back of Jesus because we will be coming with him, right? Because <laughs> we will have already met him in the clouds in the, in the rapture of the church, which is him coming not, not to touch his feet on the earth, but he'll come and gather his bride in the clouds. So we will be seeing the back of Jesus because we will be on white horses following him but they'll see the front of him. They'll see the fire in his eyes. And when they see Christ descending from heaven with his saints at the second coming, which is different from the rapture of the church, the world is going to turn their weapons. This is one of the dumbest things. In, this is the dumbest thing. The world will ever, they will turn their weapons at Jesus as if it can do anything. Pure insanity. But that's the word delusional. When you actually think you can take God, me and my wife used to joke. We had we had some friends when uh, when our girls were toddlers, and my wife would sometimes babysit the other ladies' toddlers. And one of them had like a real like fiery little attitude, like a three year old. And 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 my wife would say, she looks at me like she thinks she can take me. Like uh, I think she (laughs) really thinks she can take me. Like there's no chance. But the 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 look is like I think I can take her out. I think I can win this thing, you know. (laughs) And that's a small. But the world's it's not even in the same ballpark. It's just that's God really will laugh at them. Revelation 19:19. Go three chapters forward there in the book of Revelation, uh, and I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat. On the horse and against his army. Do you see how the t- attention is going to turn from Jerusalem to Jesus? They, Zechariah said, they are coming to battle against Jerusalem. Joel says the same thing, and they do. But once they realize that, that first of all, they don't even get a full win because the remnant that escapes will drive them batty. That they didn't—they didn't annihilate. And that drove Hitler crazy. That he, he always knew he was missing some Jewish people, and so. Uh, but the, the remnant will escape, will drive them crazy, and they can't get to him because God has, will put a cocoon around the remnant, and it will drive them bananas that they have all the technology in the world, and yet this happens. And you ever notice, like some convict escapes, we get the CIA, the FBI, state. Everyone's trying to, and no one can find this person. And then if you do the slightest thing in this country, they'll track you down in a heartbeat. But, uh, but um, you know, the, they won't be able to find uh, the remnant, and it will drive them crazy. Uh, and obviously, while that's all going on, they're breaking out in boils. They are getting tormented by all the other plagues that God is draw, uh, um, uh, you know, pouring out on the world. And they're getting madder and madder at God the whole time. And so when Jesus appears, they think, this is our chance. We put him on the cross, this time we're going to take him out for good. And of course, it's not going to go that way at all, is it? They will gather to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. So us too, by the way, the antichrist and all those who gather there. Uh, now, aside from the army slaughtering one another, and that'll also happen, they will turn their weapons on each. It's going to be total chaos, like you've seen th- this happen in the Old Testament as well. Revelation nineteen twenty one tells us, and the rest were killed with the sword that proceeded from the mouth of him. There's on the horse. Jesus, said, I He'll will, he will tell all of us, don't lift a, don't lift a pinky. My sword coming out of my mouth, will take care of everything. And all the birds will be filled with their flesh. Somehow God will make sure that the birds avoid all the other things so they are ready to eat. And that's how God does things. The birds are like, why are everyone else dying but we're not? You know, because you're going to have a massive feast. The Lord says here in Joel chapter 3 verse 13, look at verse 13, he says, put in the sickle for the harvest is ripe. Come, go down, for the wine press is full, the vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. It's all the pent up wickedness brings an equal measure of pent up wrath. But he says, The wine press is full. And the wine press is full, he's going to put in the sickle. Uh, this is figurative speech, be, mean, meaning the wine press, of a literal, it's figurative of something literal. The figurative is winepress, the literal is a bloodbath is coming upon the armies of the world that are gathered there in Israel. And uh, it's the same word that Joel uses, winepress, in verse 13 Then John uses the same word in Revelation chapter 14 verse 20. Look up on the screen. And the winepress, Joel says winepress, well actually Joel doesn't say it, God says wine press. Joel is the one that received God's verbatim word. So God says wine press. Then in Revelation, it's reiterated, and the wine press was trampled outside the city. The Kidron is just outside. That's why Jesus went just outside the city into the Kidron Valley. The wine press was outside the city. The blood came out of the wine press up to the horse's bridle for 1,600 furlongs. Um, and, and a lot of scholars have you know, propose that by the time you get this late in the tribulation, a lot of the technology is not working so well. And so horses are commandeered, and it is a foot battle. It's like going right back into the Middle Ages. Spears and swords and cell phones not working and all kinds of satellite. I mean, you imagine that all the cosmic disturbance is going to happen. I mean, uh, eventually you get to the end there, and it will be like... Um, way worse than going back to AOL dial-up and things like that <laughs> nothing uh, nothing is going to probably work all that well uh, but at any rate we don't know all the all the reasons but the other thing is I think that they just will have a desire just like um, Hamas could have um, yeah, they could have just kind of blown things up and they did do that but they wanted to cut and slice and they took great pleasure in it so God's like if blood is what you like, you're going to get a lot of it. As a matter of fact, he actually says that once. You get the "Blood they've loved and they will drink blood." He actually uh, says that in the Book of Revelation as well. And so all of that uh, is is in the more narrow. That's not in the Megiddo. It it specifically says that this blood of the horse is bridle. So if you know where a, a horse is, you know. I don't know, petting a horse about here. You know, the bridle's up here. So that's a that's a lot. That's a really massive amount of blood, and it's in the narrow Kidron, and here's a picture of how narrow the Kidron. I took this picture um, on the south end of the Temple Mount, so just that little wall there is where the Temple Mount begins to kind of go uh, parallel to the Mount of Olives. But you can see how narrow the Kidron, you can see that little walkway that's at the bottom. What you can't see, there's actually a road that's hidden, Uh, it's to the left of the walkway too, uh, but or that little footpath you can see, but it gets very narrow. And for the blood to be at the horse's bridle, it's even more. You can see how much blood would be uh, in that area. You're talking about you know millions of people jammed in, or hundreds and hundreds of thousands. I don't know what the number would take to have such a, a, a horrific scene. But in the middle of the battle and the chaos, and you can see the Kidron goes up. Uh, it goes up to the uh, kind of the north end of the city, and then it descends for another... Uh, 4,000 feet all the way till it meanders to um, to the Dead Sea. <clears throat> um, in the middle of the battle, the, 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 the final battle that, that God's de- describing here in Joel and then it's described in Zechariah, it's described in Revelation, it's described in other places too but, but in the middle of the battle and the chaos and the carnage And just prior to the sword of Jesus' mouth, just prior to the sword of Jesus' mouth slaying all that remain that haven't been killed in the battle already, uh, at the exact same time that Jesus is coming in the sky, the world is experiencing the worst earthquake the world will ever see. Every single island on planet Earth, every mountain will be moved. Can you imagine that shaking? That's happening at the same—when he splits the sky, the world will have the worst earthquake. Ev- the whole planet will shake. It'll make every other earthquake that the world has seen look like nothing. It'll look like all the ones you saw in Sendai, Japan, or in Indonesia, but worldwide, all at the exact same time. While that's happening, also before Jesus uh, kills the rest with the sword of his mouth— 100 pound stones will be falling out of, the, out of space onto mankind. 100 pounds. Now you know uh, a golf ball size hail, What it, the damage it can do. Uh, 100 pounds uh, is unbelievable in the, the, the force that that will come with. But they're falling from hell, crushing armies, crushing weapons, crushing buildings, crushing everything they strike. And then in Revelation 16, 21, is where that's mentioned, and great hail fell from heaven upon men. Each hailstone about the weight of a talent, which is 100, about a hundred pounds. Men blaspheme God because of the plague of hail. That might be the last thing they say before one hits them. But uh, and the plague was exceedingly great. Um, in verses fourteen through sixteen. Back to Joel, look over in your Bibles. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision for the day of the Lord is near. In the valley of decision the sun and the moon will grow dark and the stars will diminish their brightness. The Lord will roar from Zion and utter His voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and earth will shake, but the Lord will be a shelter for His people and the strength of the children of Israel. That's the remnant uh, that would be sheltered during all of that. Only the remnant would be sheltered. Uh, The 144,000 they'll be Sheltered by God to whatever length of time He has uh, for their ministry, the two witnesses are sheltered while they finish their ministry. So anyone that God has handpicked uh, for um, to be sheltered, but this is specifically talking about the the remnant of Israel that escaped and escaped into the wilderness and was able to be there preserved by the Lord. He'll be their shelter. But thousands uh, and even millions of troops and armies will be trapped in these valleys. They have decided, here's why it's called the valley of decision. Um, A lot of pastors use valley, I've used it before, valley decision with altar calls and things, and there's a good, there's a practical purpose in using that term, but here it wouldn't apply. Uh, This valley of decision, there's no real new opportunity to make a new decision. It's called the valid decision because they have decided against the Lord and God has decided against them. It's valid decision because both sides have made, they've decided they never will come to God and God's decided, I will never receive you. They've received the mark of the beast, they can't even be uh, redeemed after that. So it's a valley decision. Everyone has made their decision, hence it's the day of the Lord. It's His day to recompense upon those that have decided against him, the day he is designated, and he's fully decided upon for this righteous judgment to be poured out. In um, uh, in that same passage, verses fourteen through sixteen, other judgments that take place in the in, in the tribulation, like the moon and the sun going dark, the stars diminishing. Those are also mentioned uh, in the judgments that take place, the plagues that are poured out in Revelation, and Joel mentions them as well. And it says the Lord will roar and this, is, of course, squares with one verse that's found in the book of Revelation because Jesus is called, in Revelation 5.5, the lion of the tribe of Judah, and he will in fact roar from heaven as he descends. Now back to Zechariah 14, we, we looked at Zach, another layer on the um, uh, transparency here. Uh, we looked at the verses 1 and 2 of Zechariah, here's verses 3 and 4, and if you're writing it down just, you can put Zechariah Chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and there's even more after that. But it says, Then the Lord will go forth and fight against these nations. So we're kind of jumping back into what God says He's going to fight directly against as He fights in the day of battle. And in that day, His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. The only way God has feet is in the person of Jesus, His Son. So we know that this is a, about the, the Lord Jesus Himself. Um, so his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, that was the last place Jesus' feet were before he left the world. He goes up and now he will come back to the very place which faces Jerusalem on the east, the Mount of Olives is going to be split in two, the rest of the verse, which faces east Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley, half of the mountain shall move north, Half of it shall move towards the south. Let me go back to the same picture. And I did a little diagram there. So it says that half of the mountain will move north and half will move south, where you see the little dotted line. Uh, it, will, it will go in opposite directions of that dotted line. That's how, and the temple will face the open valley. Right now, the temple faces the mountain, but Mount of Olives will, half will move north, half will move south and it'll be an open valley that'll go straight through uh, and when Jesus puts his feet there, uh, and he doesn't need st- another mountain to stand there. He, he can let it just keep going and he'll stand right on air like he would on the clouds and everything while the two uh, just kind of, isn't it cool that they are they're almost, in somewhere in God's economy those two pieces are hooked and ready to be unhooked at some point in time and whenever he does that that's how it's going to go. And um, it goes on to say in verses seventeen and eighteen, as we kind of bring this to a close. So you shall know that I am the Lord your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountains. My holy mountain, that Jerusalem shall be holy, and no aliens shall ever pass through her again. And it will come to pass in that day, verse eighteen, the mountains shall drip with new wine, the hills shall flow with milk, and the brooks of Judah shall be flooded with water. A fountain shall flow from the Lord, uh, from the house of the Lord, and water the valley of Acacias. Israel is going to when Jesus takes up His throne in Jerusalem, and won't that be wonderful? When He takes up His throne in Jerusalem, His blessings are going to flow instead of His wrath. His blessings are going to flow upon that same land that just has been utterly decimated. His blessings are going to flow instead of His wrath, and it's going to reflourish rather quickly. His people, the remnant that He brings up out of Basra, uh, which is down there near Petra, Uh, and the land, the people and the land will be renewed, will be refreshed. They'll never remember the the hideous things of the past, all that will be gone, and Israel's going to bloom and flourish unlike any time it ever has before. And it was like the Garden of Eden when Joshua got there. It's going to be even better Than when Joshua got there, when they got there, when it was a land flowing with milk and honey, not what it was in 1948 when Israel had to rebuild and it was nothing but desert and swamp all over. It will go back to the way it was in the land of Canaan, but even better. When the grapes, remember the grapes were like huge and the guys were carrying them on poles, uh, but it will be, it'll be, it'll be lush and it will be uh, flourishing. And uh, this fountain, uh, he says. uh, Notice it says that. there will be a fountain shall flow from the house of the Lord. Now obviously there's no temple there at all today, and, uh, and the temple that will be there in the millennium is not even going to be the temple that's going to be rebuilt. It's going to be a whole new temple. Ezekiel describes that one. It will be different than the one that, uh, that will be built that the Antichrist will defile. God will not use the one the Antichrist defiled. There will be a whole new temple that will replace that defiled temple. But the, the water's going to flow, he says, from the house of the Lord, uh, which the house of the Lord is the temple. And that's mentioned by Ezekiel as well, another layer on our um, on our uh, overhead projector, Ezekiel 47, 1, that he brought me back to the door of the temple, which is the house of the Lord, and there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple towards the east. Why towards the east? Because that's straight through the open valley that has just been described by Zechariah. So straight to the east, it goes right through the open valley. There would be no room for it to go due east right now. It would hit the Kidron, and it would head south. But it won't hit the Kidron, and head south. It'll go straight through the open valley. And so that has to take place in concert with everything else that we just read in Zechariah. And then in verse 19, Egypt shall be a desolation, and Edom a desolate wilderness, because of violence against the people of Judah, and they have shed innocent blood in the land, much like Hamas has done. The violence and the shedding blood in the land of Egypt, Egypt, and many other enemies. It's not just going to be Egypt, Edom, uh, but Egypt and other enemies, because they shed the blood of uh, Hebrew, Jewish descendants of Abraham, and their and the land that they had come in, and not, not just recent, but going way back. Uh, their land will be cursed for a season. It does, bel- it does appear that uh, Egypt gets a reprieve at some later time, but for a period of time uh, there is going to be uh, just uh, not much growing in Egypt at all, and, and not just Egypt but other countries as well, but Israel is going to flourish. But there will be nothing anyone can do about it because Jesus is on the throne at that time. There's really nothing anybody can do. Jesus is in total control. Uh, then verse 20, but Judah shall abide forever in Jerusalem from generation to generation. Verse 21, for I will acquit them of the guilt of bloodshed whom I had not acquitted, for the Lord dwells in Zion. Egypt and uh, so Egypt and them cursed, but God's chosen descendants of Abraham, they're going to blossom, they'll never be removed, they'll abide forever and ever from generation to generation uh, in the thousand year reign, and then those that are in the Lord all the way into eternity. And by the way, the Lord makes a distinction, I don't know if I've ever shared this verse, I want to make sure I've shared this the Lord makes a distinction, if you ever hear people talk about replacement theology, which I loathe, uh, but uh, Israel is not replaced at any time. And uh, there's a verse that Paul says something, and it's very noteworthy in 1 Corinthians uh, 10.32, where the Lord makes a distinction between Jews, Gentiles, and the church. I'll have it up on the screen if you're a note taker. 1 Corinthians 10.32, give no offense either to the Jews or the Greeks, or to the church of God. All saints do become part of his church, but not all saints are Jews and not all saints are part of Israel. Does that make sense? All saints become part of the church, but not all saints ever become Jewish, and, all, and Jews never become Gentile. And so God makes a distinction. The church, the Gentiles, and the Jews, there's a place for all of them in the future family of God. But until this canvas of time uh, here before God has new heaven and earth, all three play a role. And Israel's role will not be replaced no matter how many pastors in this country preach replacement theology, it won't be replaced. They might be replaced. (laughs) They will be replaced eventually if they continue uh, saying things like that. But Israel will not be replaced. And obviously the remnant is those who are born again. Just because you're Jewish doesn't mean you're in Heaven. So, But there is a spiritual Israel and there's a literal Israel. And there's a literal church and you have Jews and Gentiles. So it's interesting Paul makes that distinction and if you compare that with Romans 12 and other things it, it's quite clear. Uh, but the church does not replace Israel. But it's, the church is complementary to Israel doesn't replace. And then, lastly, verse twenty-one. As we close, for uh, you saw that the last verse is the Lord dwells with redemption. It closes with forgiveness and the perpetuous and forgiven us. Uh, the book opened with judgment, going back to chapter one, uh, and it nearly closes with judgment, except it turns on a dime in these last verses, and we see the renewal of God, but not just the renewal of God. We see, he says, the last verse, for the Lord dwells in Zion. And if you compare that to the end, and I put up both up on the screen, to the end of Ezekiel's prophecy, which is a much larger book obviously, 48 chapters. Uh, but uh, at the end of Ezekiel, the very last word, you can look it up in your Bible, it says the Lord is there and the very last v- words of, of Joel is the Lord dwells in Zion. The Lord is there, the Lord dwells in Zion. Um, God has a love for that little place of land and he wants to share it with those that have repented and put their faith and trust in him, and he will. And, and he, will he will dwell with us, he will tabernacle with us. That's why the word Emmanuel, God with us the Lord, but uh, Yahweh Shammah there and then uh, the Lord dwells in Zion. Uh, for us, as we close not only this evening but uh, this entire study, do we desire the presence of the Lord? we desire Yahweh Shama? Do we desire the Lord to dwell with us? If we do, we will love our Savior. We'll love His Word. We'll love His commands. We'll love His people, both the church and Israel. And we'll reach out to the lost and we'll, we'll look for and long for His appearing. This is what... Uh, Paul said in Second Timothy four Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. This takes place uh, up at the judgment scene of Christ, which is at near the end of the tribulation. Which the Lord, the righteous Judge, will give to me on that day, not to me only, but all those who love His appearing. The world's going to hate when He returns, but we are those who love His appearing, and we're not prepared for the day of wrath. We're prepared for the day of Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's be renewed daily in looking for His coming. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank You for the surety of Your Word, the promises of Your Word, and Lord, we know that these things will come to pass, and because they will come to pass, we want to be those, Lord, that are looking for Your return and hastening it by drawing nearer to You, not running or drifting away from You, uh, but uh, even more as we see the day approaching, drawing nearer to You, and Lord, uh, that we would be keeping our garments clean and our lamps filled with oil, uh, that we be ready should You return at any moment, Lord. We know that uh, nothing on the prophetic timeline uh, is hindering Your return. You could come at any moment, Lord. We want to be those that are ready and those that are proclaiming, not just with our lives but also with our lips. And I pray Your blessing on each and every person here and those that are watching online. Lord, we know that even the book of Revelation, You said there's a blessing to those who read the prophecies of these, this book, and we did that tonight. So we just ask for Your... and. Uh, We also ask, Lord, that you would just uh, take the seeds that were planted with this study and sow them deep within us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Sorry we went a little late tonight, but that was a lot to cover. So uh, (laughs) have a good. Yeah, thank you. Have a good rest of the week. We'll see you, Lord willing, Sunday.